Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Hamilton Police helping community agencies. Still not enough health care dollars for the premiers. Should Premier Doug Ford be worried about the NDP's new leader? We're being asked to help earthquake relief efforts in Turkey and Syria. Canada's Governor General is raking in the pay raises. And a Dairy Queen operator in Waterdown is a deserving award winner. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 900- We've taken $1.6 million out of our community safety monies, and we've transferred that to Interval House, to CMHA, to St. Joseph Healthcare, John Howard, Hamilton Regional Indian Centre, Wesley Urban Ministry, the YMCA, because we have found that working together, we then have the ability to defer the reliance on police. That is Hamilton Police Chief Frank Bergen on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML yesterday morning. And he told us that in their budget process, and as we know, this police budget has been rather contentious with a portion of the population in this community. He's told us that uh, he's redirected upwards of $1.6 million from the budget to some local community organizations that help with uh, marginalized individuals, marginalized families in this city. And, And today we're following up on one of those many agencies that he mentioned that is benefiting from the uh, move by Hamilton Police. Donna DeYoung is the executive director of the John Howard Society of Hamilton and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Donna, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm well, thanks. Thanks so much for having us. How are you this morning? I'm fantastic. Give us a quick refresher on what the John Howard Society does. Awesome. Thank you. So the John Howard Society here in Hamilton, we're the John Howard Society of Hamilton, Burlington and area. And we provide a broad spectrum of programs and services and supports to the community. We've been in Hamilton since 1949. So next year is our 75th anniversary. Very exciting. Um, And most of our programs and services are focused around those who are justice involved, but not always. We have some programs and services that have nothing to do with the justice system as well. It's a great organization in this community that has done a lot of uh, awesome work over the year, over the decades, as you've just told us. Uh, So the police chief said that they've redirected $1.6 million from the budget. Do you know how much your Mm -hmm. your organization is going to get and what impact could this have? Yeah, so it's a fantastic project. I'm so excited to have the opportunity to to chat about it. So Chief Bergen um, referenced the RIST program yesterday, which is their rapid intervention support team. And along with John Howard Society, there are eight community partners that are are benefiting from that um, that funding through the Community Safety and Policing Grant. And it it's going to go a long way. It has been going a long way. We're already a year in. Um, to provide supports to those in our community that are most in need. You know, lots of the folks we work with and lots of folks in our community don't have access to the resources that they need to meet their their daily needs. For us specifically, the funding supports a court liaison worker, and that individual supports people who are obviously justice-involved to successfully address their matters before the courts. Without that funding, does that... A court liaison officer not exist? Correct. That is correct. As a not-for-profit, we can only fund what we've got the money to do. So this grant, thankfully, is supporting that right to the end of uh, fiscal year 2025. Give us a sense of how crucial that position is. Oh, my gosh. It's so crucial. So very crucial. Um, Lots of our folks, 
again, those that are just as involved, lots of people don't have access to technology, right? So court is, is mostly still virtual at this point. So that requires folks to access their court appearances, either preferably by phone or by Zoom rather than in person. And so our court liaison worker, um, who's been just, I got to tell you, doing an, um, the most amazing job, far exceeding anything we had hoped for uh, since we started this project, works with some of some folks who are frequently in crisis, um, frequently have lots of other things going on, right? Like we readily recognize justice involvement is one very small piece of an entire human being, right? So the goal of this program is to help them address their court matters, but also make sure with the other community partners we have, which includes Hamilton Police, Hamilton Police, uh, sorry, Hamilton Paramedics, St. Joseph, CMHA, Interval House, the Y, Hamilton Regional, you know, all of those partners that Chief Bergen mentioned yesterday, we want to take a really wraparound and holistic approach to the individual to make sure they have access in the moment that they need them to all of the things to help them navigate systems successfully. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Donna DeYoung, the Executive Director of the John Howard Society of Hamilton. We're talking about uh, the redirection of some funding within the Hamilton Police Budget to organizations like the John Howard Society. Uh, There's been a lot of debate in the news over the last number of weeks about bail reform. Where do we go from here? What's your stance on this? For sure. Um, I know that is something that so at the John Howard Society, we we do offer a bail verification and supervision program. So bail reform is always a <laughs> top priority to us, very much of interest. Um, and I know it's uh, something they're looking at very closely at the provincial level at this point and federally. We had the opportunity uh, about a week ago, just over a week ago, to welcome Minister Lametti to our office um, on a completely different project, our FASD project. Uh, but we did have the opportunity to speak to him about the importance of bail reform and to make sure that, you know, folks that are justice involved are supported, but as well as making sure that the supports are there for those um, that are impacted on the other side as well. Does that mean that a, uh, let's just call it a tougher system, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. would mm-hmm. unfairly target those black, indigenous, marginalized individuals? Uh, you know, there so many systems don't take many of those types of things into account. I think there are always room for improvement. And I would say the bail system is one of the systems that certainly could be reviewed and looked at to make sure that everyone has equal access and everyone has the opportunity to be the most active and engaged member of their community they could possibly be. We certainly want to see that. Uh, Donna, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us and best of luck down the road. Thank you so much, Rick. I appreciate it. Take good care. You too. That's Donna DeYoung, the Executive Director of the John Howard Society of Hamilton, one of the beneficiaries of some of this funding from the Hamilton Police Budget when it comes to um, helping individuals in this community, like those who need the services of John Howard Society or the, the YMCA's the chief mentioned yesterday, Interval House, so many other programs in this community that this funding is going to help um, uh, individuals in our community. It's a it's a great win-win situation. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We'll sit down. Uh, this is the beginning. Uh, I always look at, you know, glass is half full. Um, and again, it's good that we sat down and 
and I'll, I'll never uh, refuse new funding. This is Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Ontario Premier Doug Ford commenting on the health care funding offer from Ottawa. That offer, $196 billion to be transferred to the provinces and territories over the next 10 years. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says the premiers are going to have to show how this money is going to be spent. Each will need to provide transparent information so that your health care system is accountable and you can be sure that real improvements are being made. Here's the rub, though. The overall health transfer percentage jumps from 22% to 24%, not the 35% that the premiers have been calling for. So where do we go from here? Mackenzie Gray is a senior digital broadcast journalist with Global News and joins us now on GMH. Mackenzie, good morning. How are you? Hi, Rick. How are you doing? This is a, uh, I'm good. Thanks for asking. This is a multi-billion dollar deal, $48 billion in new money over the next 10 years, from what I understand. W- where do we go from here? Uh, well, the Premier has signed this, and we uh, move on from the health care discussion, at least at the political level. This was a take-it-or-leave-it moment from Justin Trudeau, and I don't think there's a lot of an appetite uh, from the various Premiers, um, in particular in B.C. and the Atlantic Premiers, uh, to continue to fight. You know, we, you played Premier Clips, uh, Premier Ford's uh, clip coming in saying this is a, you know, kind of a first step in this. Uh, hate to break it to the premier, but, uh, Justin Trudeau isn't going to give you any more money. Uh, there can be more conversations about different things. There's bilateral deals that are going to be struck between the different provinces. Uh, if they're interested in, in some conditions from Ottawa, which it seems like most of them are willing to do. Uh, but, you know, Justin Trudeau was able to get the premiers off his lawn by putting this money on the table. But as you mentioned, it's well short of what the premiers were hoping for. And there was a lot of optimism heading into these meetings. You know, many of these premiers make their political hay on arguing with Justin Trudeau and making him the boogeyman. When Scott Moe is coming to Ottawa, uh, being very optimistic, you think something bigger is going to get done than what actually uh, was put on the table by Mr. Trudeau, who really looks like he's uh, kind of playing hardball in healthcare with the premiers. This is really going to test the resolve and the unity of the premiers and territorial leaders. Uh I don't know about that, Rick. I think they recognize that uh, they got a check yesterday and uh, it's a take it or leave it moment. And, you know, maybe Danielle Smith goes in there, the premier of Alberta, and, and tries to blow things up uh, ahead of her, her election where she looks like she's going to be in a neck and neck fight. I, I think they're going to take the money and, and move on to fight another day. You know, it, it is a decent chunk of cash, you know, $46 billion in, in new money over the next 10 years. But it, again, it is well short of what the premiers wanted. You know, most people would say, though, you know, particularly the federal government, the 35 percent number the federal government, uh, the the premiers had put out was never a number Ottawa was going to come to. Uh, But, you know, I think it's based on the optimism that was we'd heard from the premiers and from the federal government that there was going to be a more uh, agreeable approach, not only on the money, but on the additional things too. uh, you know, in a bid to try and fix the system. Because, you know, the money is one thing, uh, but, you know, one thing the premiers and Ottawa do agree on is that it's going to take a lot more than just money to fix the problems that the healthcare system has right now. We only got about a minute. Does the Prime Minister come out of this looking like a winner optically? Uh, Tough to say, but uh, I think the the bigger thing that I said before uh, is his biggest thing. He got the premiers off his back. They can leave him alone. He can say, look, I've invested all this money. You know, they're going to throw the $200 billion number around. You know, 75% of that was already baked in. But, you know, healthcare is the number one issue for Canadians right now. He can say that he had a plan. The premiers are going to sign this. So it's a it's a win in the fact that Mr. Trudeau can move on from this and focus on other issues that I think he can score more political points against, in particular, Mr. Polyev on. Mackenzie, thank you for your time today and great job covering this. Thanks, Rick.
Mackenzie Gray is a senior digital broadcast journalist with Global News. The premiers, for their part, saying, yeah, they'll look it over. They'll meet with their teams and they'll get back to the prime minister and the federal government. Uh, my sense is they'll they'll take this deal. I mean, what more are they going to get if they go back to the well? I don't know. I don't know if there's too much more to get. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Today, we start the countdown to the end of Doug Ford's disastrous government and the beginning of a bright new future for Ontario. That is uh, new Ontario NDP leader Marit Stiles. The question some are asking is, does she have what it takes to unseat Premier Doug Ford in a few years? Well, let's ask her ourselves. Marit Stiles, the leader of the Ontario NDP, joins us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Miss Stiles, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. It's great to be here. How are you going to take your party to the next level? Is there a next level? And what does that look like? Well, you know, first of all, we're going to continue to get out there and connect with people. I'm actually uh, coming into Hamilton today to uh, to help out our, our candidate, Sarah Jama, in, in Hamilton Centre. But yeah, I mean, for me, it's really about uh, coming up with uh, a move, building that movement that's going to actually unseat Doug Ford. And that means connecting with people in communities, uh, listening to what they care about, and, uh, and organizing. Uh, because, you know, we'll continue to, of course, uh, hold uh, Mr. Ford to account um, for any of their terrible decisions, and we'll push back, like we know how to do. But we also need to uh, build a bigger, bolder sort of umbrella uh, that folks maybe who maybe never even voted NDP in the past will come under as we get closer to the election and, and get ready to defeat him. You mentioned that you're going to be in Hamilton later on today. This is a soon-to-be by-election in Hamilton Centre. It was mm-hmm. once uh, ruled by Andrea Horvath, the former NDP leader, is now the mayor of Hamilton. Um, Sarah Jama, the NDP candidate, has gone on record and has been involved in protests involving defunding the police. Is that a stance that you support? Mm-hmm. You know, she is a, and I'll say Sarah is an excellent and, and strong advocate for the community and for a lot of people who have been left behind. Um, and we are going to continue to stand alongside her. She is, uh, she's, she is really, I think, um, somebody who, um, is passionate about, um, a lot of important issues and, and connecting with people all across Hamilton, uh, and in her riding. And we're going to continue to stand with her. But, you know, I think there are some important questions that she's bringing to the surface, uh, you know, about, uh, again, about some of the folks that have been impacted um, by, you know, precarious housing, homelessness, uh, shelters remaining full, uh, encampment evictions certainly made a lot of people very, very unhappy, um, and, and the need for more mental health and housing supports. And I think all of those things, you know, Sarah's been very clear um, that, you know, she's going to continue to fight for everyone in the community. We got 90 seconds with Marit Stiles, the leader of the Ontario NDP, the federal government health care uh, proposal transfer payments deal is uh, now on mm. the table. The premiers, including Ontario's Doug Ford, saying it's not enough. What do you think about it? Well, look, I mean, what I'm concerned about, honestly, and, and we do need more funding for health care, no question, but but we also need a government that's willing to actually spend the money that they're that's given to them. So we know that this government already sat just even on the last year alone on a billion dollars that was supposed to be spent in public health care and didn't get spent. So I want to make sure there's some accountability here. I want to make sure that every dollar that's coming into this province is going to go into patient care and not 
shareholder profits for some private for-profit clinic. Uh, we have a crisis here. It's, a, it's mostly a staffing crisis. We need nurses and other healthcare workers to be treated with respect and paid a decent wage and not and we, we don't need a government that's fighting in the courts to keep their wages down. So there's big questions here. I'm, I'm glad to see some money coming forward, but I, I'm not sure I trust Doug Ford to spend it where it needs to be spent. Wish we had a little more time, but we're plumb out of it. I look forward to our next chat uh, sometime down the yeah. road. Thank you very much for Thanks joining so us. Thank you so much. Take care. That is Marit Stiles, the leader of the Ontario NDP. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The search for signs of life is continuing in Turkey and Syria as rescue crews are um, in the rubble of thousands of buildings, literally, that have been toppled by this strong earthquake earlier this week. Canada, for its part, sending $10 million in immediate aid to earthquake-ravaged Turkey and Syria. Uh, Canadians, like you and I, also being encouraged to donate what you can You can go online to together.ca and support the Humanitarian Coalition, which is made up of uh, 12 leading Canadian aid agencies who work together in times of these major humanitarian crises. One of those agencies is World Vision Canada. And joining us now is Helen Barclay-Hollins, who's a manager with World Vision and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Helen, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well, thank you. How are you today? It's um, I, I'm good, but it is sobering to hear that the death toll has now reached over 11,000. The devastation in Turkey and Syria is tremendous. How is the Humanitarian Coalition and World Vision Canada helping right now? Yeah, you're right. It really is heartbreaking. Um, this situation, unfortunately, is a crisis on top of a crisis. Um, this has been one of the strongest earthquakes in 100 years, uh, and it's happening in an area where people are also displaced by conflict that has been going on for the past decade as well. So as part of the humanitarian coalition um, and World Vision in particular, we are working to mobilize resources, as you've already mentioned, um, but making sure our teams are there on the ground and responding to the needs that we see. Um, the numbers are rising, um, not only of the casualties, but those survivors who are in urgent need of our support. Does that crisis on top of a crisis and and really the widespread disaster zone, is that making this uh, effort incredibly difficult? It's been a, yeah, it's been a huge earthquake. The, The crisis is still evolving as well. We're seeing shortages of clean water, fuel, um, things like infrastructure, trying to get access to some of these populations, some of these communities is still difficult. The airport is closed. The roads are damaged. Um, and trying to get the, the access to those most impacted areas um, is continuing to be a challenge um, at present. Helen Barclay-Hollins is a manager at World Vision Canada, one of the agencies that is in Turkey, in Syria right now, helping uh, those who have been displaced by the earthquake in those two countries. Uh, for those who are digging into their pockets, going into their bank accounts, saying, I have to donate to this, how is the money used? So... World Vision as part of the Humanitarian Coalition, we're already there. Um, we've been working in that area for over a decade um, through our teams and also through local partners. Um, so we already started providing fuel to shelters. Um, at night, the temperatures are below freezing. Um, these are families trying to survive with no home, no access to food and, and sub-zero temperatures at night. So heating has been an essential um, part of our response. We're also working um, to make sure they've got a shelter uh, many people are still afraid to go into shelters where buildings have been damaged and are still unstable. Working with medical teams um, 
to try and medical partners, that is, to go and support those who've been injured and starting to mobilize ready-to-eat meals, blankets, essential items. Um, currently, our main concern is for children um, as risks of hypothermia for those who are sleeping outside. Our teams tell us many are sleeping outside on the streets or in cars or in makeshift camps um, and also risks around protection. Those children outside are risks of um, exploitation and abuse as well and and a bit of a longer term concern, perhaps, but they're going to be out of school as well through the duration of this crisis. The uh, the earthquakes epicenter was in Turkey, but it obviously created uh, uh, massive problems, devastation as well in Syria as well. And there's a lot of people in Syria are saying, hey, don't forget about us because our country's in the midst of a civil war. There's so many people that have already been di- displaced. How difficult is it managing the situation there? Yeah, we still have partners who are there and present and they are, they are working very closely with us to respond. Some of the challenges is we're working with these partners and they're also trying to account for their own uh, family members or friends who are missing, as well as trying to respond, as well as literally trying to support going through the rubble to find survivors. Um, So we're doing our best so we can to support them, to make sure they have the access, to make sure they have the resources, um, as they are the first responders, they're the first ones there um, to provide this much much needed aid. The greatest need right now would be, you mentioned heat, shelter, food, water. Is there anything else on the the list that is much needed? Um, Some of these essential items, things like hygiene kits. um, I mean, water is becoming an increasing concern. There's an ongoing cholera outbreak in northwest Syria. Um, There's huge concerns that we don't want that to spread. Um, So making sure that we get those those much needed items in as soon as we possibly can. Um, And we're really calling for the swift and unhindered access to the most impacted areas, um, making sure that aid can get into northwest Syria as well as responding in um, southern Turkey as well to those who are most in need. Uh, the devastation is widespread and it is uh, just uh, shocking and startling to see. We've all seen the visuals and our, our thoughts and prayers go to those who have been affected by this. Helen, thank you for your time this morning. Best of luck with this. Thank you so much. Thanks for your support. Helen Barclay-Hollins is a manager at World Vision Canada, and 900CHML is supporting this effort, the Humanitarian Coalition, in its appeal to help victims of this devastating earthquake in Turkey and in Syria. You can help out by donating online at together.ca. That's together.ca, and that money will go to this coalition of 12 leading Canadian aid agencies like World Vision Canada, who work together in times of major humanitarian crisis. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. When was the last time you received a pay raise at work? How much How much did you get? Was it 1%, a 2% raise, maybe a little bit more, 13% maybe? Well, since 2019, I would say fat chance on that, right? Little known fact that Canada's Governor General received a fairly healthy pay raise during the pandemic. Franco Terrazano is the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Franco, welcome back to the show. How's it going? Hey, it's going pretty good. Not as good as it's going uh, for the governor general, but I'm doing okay. <laughs> you guys at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation did a little digging and you found out that Governor General Mary Simon has received a pretty substantial pay raise the last number of years. What did you find? Yeah, a $40,000 salary increase for the Governor General since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. Let me just break down these numbers to you. So in 2019, the Governor General was receiving a salary of about $302,000. Last year, the Governor General's salary was $342,000. So throughout this whole COVID-19 pandemic, 
when so many Canadians struggled with pay cuts, job losses, business losses, now Canadians are, are worried about the price of ground beef at the store. Turns out the governor general's salary has increased by $40,000 during that pandemic time. So on average, that's about 4% a year, somewhere around there. Yeah, a little bit more than that. And you know what? I, I'm over here shaking my head. I got a couple questions. First, why does the governor general even need a $40,000 salary increase? It's not like her rent is going up in the taxpayer-funded mansion of Rideau Hall. <laughs> Plus, let's not forget that the governor general can expense taxpayers essentially for as much beef Wellington as she can stomach. Remember that uh, plane trip that her and her entourage took to the Middle East where they racked up nearly six figures in fancy airplane food. So why does the governor general even need a 40K boost on top of that $300,000 salary? But Rick, let's talk a little bit more important about policy, okay? Well, how can the government prove to taxpayers that we're getting an extra $40,000 in value from the governor general? I just don't see why we're handing out pay raises like this. Yeah, those are the questions I had. Like, how how does this happen? And how does this happen? Why is this happening? And are we getting our money's worth? Yeah, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you why it's happening, or at least the argument that the government is saying. Mm -hmm. They're saying, "Well, hey, hey, Franco, hey, taxpayers, what can we do about it? It's just baked in legislation. It's in the Governor General's Act that the salary automatically goes up every single year." Well, hold on a second. Don't we pay? politicians in Ottawa a very good sum of money to change laws. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm not a political science prof. I don't have a PhD in poli sci, but I'm pretty sure we're paying six figures for each member of parliament out there to look after our wallets and to change laws when they need to be changed. So here's what's essentially been going on because of this baked in legislation. You have the government rubber stamping pay raises when Canadians can't afford ground beef. So what you're telling me, Franco, and again, we're in discussion with Franco Terrazano, federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, that no matter what the year, no matter what the inflation rate, no matter whether we're in a pandemic or not, the governor general is going to get a pay raise. My question is, how do I get a job like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hey, don't go giving the bureaucracy any ideas that we need to expand <laughs> these types of roles here. Hey, don't go give them any bright ideas. But look, uh, it's I think most Canadians and this is why I'm so grateful to be on your show today, because I think when most Canadians find out that, hey, before the pandemic, we had this role of governor general was already getting paid about three hundred and two K every year. Now, fast forward through a pandemic, through an inflationary time that hit so many Canadians, when we're looking at a potential recession, that the governor general is now making $342,000, a $40,000 salary increase. I think Canadians here are going to be so frustrated. So I'm very thankful that we get to shine a light on this uh, type of waste today. Now, on the flip side, I'm sure there are people who say, that, listen, this is a very important role. We need someone who is going to go to all these events, you know, sign all the bills that need royal assent and all that kind of stuff, be a, a, a figurehead for the monarchy, and they should be well paid. Obviously, you don't buy into that argument. Neither do I. I mean, 342 grand <laughs> for that kind of role, that's a lot of money. Yeah, it sure is. And look, uh, no matter where you stand on the role and significance of the governor general and, and the monarchy, no matter where you stand on, on this, waste is waste. Okay. Waste is waste. 
Why do we need to be paying an extra $40,000 salary bump for someone who is already making $300,000 during the pandemic, right? Is it really fair to go knock on the doors, look families in the eye who, who are just struggling and say that you have to pay an extra $40,000 so the governor general who is already making three hundred dollars a year can, can get an extra forty dollars salary boost, right? I don't think that's a fair thing to say. And Rick, you mentioned all of the international traveling. That's not coming out of the governor general's pocket, yeah. right? Remember, they expense nearly six figures on fancy airplane food for a week-long trip. Also, it's not like the governor general uh, is racking up all these bills on rent, right? We pay for official residences for the governor general. Wow. So what are the odds that, uh, I don't know, some government down the line will say, listen, we, we're now capping this governor general salary at X amount? Well, Rick, you know what? I'm going to put the onus on me, you, and your listeners there. I think the odds of them doing it depends on the pressure that us Canadians do. So what I what I would ask all your listeners to is to write your member of parliament a note, tell them it's unacceptable, and right now is a perfect time to act because there is a parliamentary committee going on in Ottawa where you have members from all sides of the aisle, whether liberal, NDP, conservative, and bloc, actually looking into governor general expenses right now and beginning to rein in the types of perks that governors general get. So right now is the perfect time to apply pressure. And I'm putting the onus on your listeners to take some action here. Let's do this. Franco, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Franco Terrazano is the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This is a awesome story. It's about an operator of a Dairy Queen in Dundas who's been recognized as Dairy Queen's Miracle Maker Award recipient for 2022. The honor is bestowed upon a franchisee and or an operator of a Dairy Queen here in Canada who's gone above and beyond in their fundraising efforts and dedication to support local children's hospitals. Jane Scala is the operator of the Dairy Queen in Dundas and a 2022 DQ Miracle Maker Award recipient. Jane, good morning. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Rick. How are you? I'm good. So when you found out you were a recipient of this award, what crossed your mind? I cried. Did you really? <laughs> I have to be honest. Um, it it was amazing and an honor because I I've never really looked into what it's about. Other like I mean, not what it's about, but winning it because to me, what I do, I would do whether there was an award or not. So, so children's what, hospitals are near and dear to me. Absolutely. Were the tears more of an acknowledgement of all the hard work that's been done, or was it more than that? It's more than that. Um, I grew up with a sick brother um, who lived in Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto. And when we moved in 1989 to Hamilton to purchase our first Dairy Queen, Mac became our home. Mac, the McMaster Hospital, became our hospital. So we used to do our fundraising for Toronto, which is an amazing hospital as well. But McMaster, when we moved to the community, we made McMaster ours. And then David, when he turned 18, he became a patient and a, under a cardiologist at Mac. And then um, my daughter in 2004 was diagnosed with cancer. So McMaster saved her life. Wow. So, so how's yes. your family doing now? Amelia, my daughter? Yeah. My daughter's amazing. She's 23 years old, graduated from school, has a great job. She's 
16 years in remission and counting. Um, we never really celebrate it. We just kind of do it on the down low. <laughs> um, but we, uh, we're blessed. We're blessed. We're one of the families that were able to come home with their child. And we saw too many not. So it's a, just a very near and dear place to us. And we're very connected with them over the years. Um, even before she got sick, um, before I even had children, McMaster was my hospital. I always considered it very fortunate that we have a hospital in our backyard. I don't know if people realize how lucky they are, and I hope they never have to use it. But to have a children's hospital right in our own backyard is the most incredible, incredible thing to have. Absolutely. Jane Scala is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, operator of the Dairy Queen in Dundas, and a fantastic place uh, to go on a, well, whether it's a cold winter day or a hot summer day, to uh, cool off or warm up with some uh, tasty treats. A 2022 DQ Miracle Maker Award recipient. I want to get a little more detail on your daughter, Amelia, because she was diagnosed, I think, when she was five, from what I understand? Yes, she was. Wow. Yes, and so what, what, was that, what was that process like? Um, it was really weird, actually. We were very fortunate. Um, Amelia was the type of child who never complained if she had a flu or if she was sick or anything. It was just, you know, pass me the bucket, go back to sleep. No, no drama, nothing. And there was a night where she wouldn't wake up off the couch on a Wednesday night. And um she woke up with a fever and I just kind of looked at her and I said, you know what, let's play hooky from school tomorrow. So I kept her and her little brother home from school on the Thursday. And then Friday she goes, mom, I can't, I have to go back to school. And I said, okay, but you're not looking too good. So she went to pick up her backpack and she didn't want me to see, but I saw her kind of wince over it. Like she kind of, you know, did the ouch kind mm -hmm. of face. And I said, oh, I said, you know, um, doctor you know our doctor called and we have to go see the doctor before we go to school because i knew there was something wrong but amelia always had this thing where she had to pick up her little brother who was like a tank <laughs> and um i thought she pulled a muscle in her back it ended up our pediatrician took blood work and no doctors usually do blood work on five-year-olds yeah she took blood work and decided to do physicals on both my kids and that saved amelia's life wow they were able to find the leukemia i believe earlier than that if another year had gone by before she started showing symptoms and signs. So it was very shocking and awful. <laughs> well, it's great. It it's great awful. to hear that she's in a much better place. That is amazing. We got about 90 yes. seconds. I want to ask you about this. You've raised nearly $150,000 for Mac Kids Hospital through your Miracle Treat Day uh, and other, yes. you know, fundraisers with the Children's uh, Miracle Network. When, when you when you look at that dollar figure, that's a lot of people giving and and you, you know, organizing these things. What does that number mean to you? Um, it just means that there's more things we're able to provide for the children in the hospital. It's always a proud moment when we can purchase equipment with the money that we raise. And what we do is our store is one of the only ones that I know of. We donate 100% of our Blizzard sales that day. On our Blizzard Day, and which is the second Thursday of August every year, we donate 100% of our Blizzard sales to McMaster. And then we also do like 50-50 draws and we, and we sell little envelopes with prizes in them. And just anything we draw, any donations people give us, over the year, through the whole year, and roundups and stuff, we donate 100% of that. My staff also donate their hours on Blizzard Day. Hmm. Wow. So when I have like the whole team working, and they might keep a couple hours for themselves, and then they're donating the rest. So we put all that money towards McMaster in that day, and we can't do it without our community. 
we have the most incredible community in Waterdown. It's like unreal how these people come together for us. And we just love them as family. It's amazing. It's amazing. You're amazing. The whole thing's amazing. And it's amazing to see that uh, you've been uh, awarded with the 2022 DQ Miracle Maker Award. Uh, Jane, congrats. Uh, Thanks for all the fundraising that you do. I know a lot of families are benefiting from that as well. And thanks for the time today. Thank you so much for for having me. That is Jane Scala, operator of the Dairy Queen in Dundas. What an amazing story and a well-deserved award. That is for sure. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.